Miss Cindy, are we live? Awesome. Well, everyone in-house, say good morning to everyone online. All right, one more time. And one more time. Good morning, everyone. Um, I don't know if I introduced myself, but I think everyone kind of knows me at this point, I hope. <laughs> uh, my name is Josiah Hodge. I'm the lead pastor and lead servant here at Crossroads World Outreach Center. It's an honor to have you today. And before we get into the word today, we have a couple of announcements. Will Peyton Fleming please come up here? Woo, Peyton, yeah! He's got a quick announcement for you guys. He's nervous. That's why he's talking like that. Uh, June 3rd, uh, we're going to be going out to the real church at Christ Central in downtown Columbia. Um, and we're going to be serving spaghetti for everyone there and eating with them. We're going to set up tables and chairs and just have a good time and, you know, and enjoy enjoy spending time with them and and fellowship with them and stuff so uh there is a sign up sheet where the coffee is out front um so if you guys are willing to help definitely put your name email and phone number down and uh if you want to donate anything um on your envelope just make sure that you put down that it's for the meal on june 3rd thank you peyton yes so june 3rd is a saturday because that's when they meet and so, like Peyton said, the plan is to provide a meal for them after the gathering. And so, we will be taking part in their gathering. Um, so, I'm excited about that. June 3rd, if you want to take part in that, bring something. You can just come. Or if you want to bring and help cook and all that good stuff, talk to Peyton and get signed up. But, all right, Miss Pat and my Aunt Dawn, they have an announcement for you all. Woo, Pat Dawn! <laughs> now, that was super weak. Let us, they deserve more than that. We want to tell everyone who supported. Here, we got to walk this way. We got to show it off. We got to show it off. Does everybody see it? No, okay. Turn this way. There we go. Everybody see us. There we go. Can we put our major sponsors on? There we go. All right. Okay. Now, so we held our third annual golf tournament on April 27th. And we were able to give Turbyville Children's Home, drum roll, $31,000. We have already established the date for our fourth one. It's April 25th, 2024. We already have started planning. We saw Tim Moore yesterday over in Sumter to talk to him a little bit about it. So, if you want to sponsor, if you know people to play, or you have businesses that you have relationships with and you're a little bit timid, just tell Pat and I. We'll go visit them. But we, we want to thank everybody that participated in whichever way you did, whether you came to our Wednesday night suppers or volunteered. Pat, I'm going to pass this to you for you to add. Thank you. Thank you. We thank each and every one of you here. Because with your prayers, with your dollars, 
We were able to do what we did as a group. It wasn't just Don and I, y'all. It was everybody. And we thank you for what you've done. Awesome. Do what? And we want to thank our pastor for supporting us. And we're going to put him to work again next year. Yes, they will. And I'll be hearing about it up to that point, so... We keep it rock. We keep it rocking and rolling. Yes, and thank you, Vanna White, for holding up the check. <laughs> Amazing job. A <laughs> um, couple quick things, and we're going to pray and go ahead into it. Um, we are starting a toiletry drive for the real church starting May 15th. Now, a toiletry drive, that is going to be right for the summertime because it gets hot, sweaty, all those things. So we're going to be doing a toothpaste, toothbrushes, shampoo, deodorant, things of that nature. All right, so toiletry drive starting uh, May 15th. I'll have like an actual list for you guys coming soon. Um, I'm, I think that's going to go to June 15th. I have not decided yet, but it will be a month, if not longer. Um, May 21st is our friends and family day. Woo, friends and family day. Y'all can get excited. It's okay. Y'all can talk back to me. Sometimes y'all super quiet, so I'd appreciate it. Woo, hey, yeah, friends and family day. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. All right, y'all get it eventually. All right, May 21st, Friends and Family Day. We are doing... Wow, okay, four people. You see what happens when someone's excited? Y'all scared me a little bit that time. I was caught me off guard. My whole... All right, Lord Jesus, I'm getting too old for this. All right, the theme. I'm not going to say what it is again because I'm afraid y'all are going to scare me again. All right, the theme is life is a picnic with friends and family. Um, we're super excited about it. We'll have invite cards coming very, very soon. We're making a post uh, tomorrow on Facebook. I almost said it's tomorrow Monday, but if tomorrow wasn't Monday, I don't know what we're doing here right now. So, yes, tomorrow is Monday because today is Sunday. I'm struggling, man. It's a long weekend. All right. Um, and then June 3rd, once again, meal for the real church. Uh, but stand with me one more time, getting y'all's uh, leg workout in. Stand with me one more time. We're going to pray together, as we always do, and then we're going to get into it today. And if you're willing, we you raise your hands with me to heaven to receive what Holy Spirit has for us today. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another day to have breath in our lungs, another day to get to love our family and our friends, another day to just worship you and be thankful for everything that you've given us. And Lord Jesus, I just pray today that you continue to take away our lenses and filters that cause us to see you incorrectly. And that Holy Spirit, you come through and you continue just to regenerate and renew our minds, that we're able to see you the way we are meant to to know that we are sons and daughters of God, that we are loved and forgiven and free. So Jesus, we just thank you for this day. As we start this topic, this theme of the new covenant and new humanity, we'll be going through the summer. Lord Jesus, I just pray you're with us in these talks and change our minds, change our hearts, open our ears to receive. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. So like I said, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. And as you can see, I'm actually sitting down, and that is very new for us. Um, but I, I was convicted of something by Holy Spirit, and oftentimes, y'all know I'm a very passionate human being. Um, so when I talk, I, I get very worked up, get very excited. Um, and I was just reading in, in 2 Corinthians, and Paul says this. He says, I did not come to you with persuasive words, 
um, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to me, a lot of the times when I'm sermonizing and I'm putting together a sermon, it's like I'm thinking in my head, okay, this is the concept, Holy Spirit, lead me in this. Instead of just being like, Holy Spirit, lead me, I'm picking the direction that I'm going. And so I end up sermonizing and putting together what I think are some pretty great sermons, and I get excited about them. And then I think to myself, yeah, that's great. Sermonizing is great. It's good. But I don't want to be partially led by the Holy Spirit. I want to be fully led by the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm, I'm doing something today that is crazy uncomfortable for me. Um, I've just got a couple passages that we're going to read and talk about together. And I don't have a sermon planned. That is super uncomfortable for me. Why? Because I'm a planner. I like having my sermon series planned out, laid out. But we're actually, we, we are rolling with a theme starting now, going through the end of the summer. And it's the new covenant and the new humanity. And that's our theme. That's what we're going to be rolling with. That's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be diving into. Because this new covenant life truly is amazing. And we're going to get deeper into that. But a lot of y'all know I've been, on, I've been on just a purely Jesus journey for godly 18, 20 months now of only talking about Jesus, which we're going to continue to do because all we talk about here is Jesus um, because he's the one we worship. He's the one that saves our souls. And today we're going we're gonna to jump into John chapter 12. So if you would open with me or if you have your phones, your Bibles, open with me to John chapter 12. And in order to talk about the new covenant, because this is just kind of like our introduction takeoff point, uh, launching from this point on, going into everything else, um, is the resurrection. And so, in order to talk about the new covenant, we got to start with the resurrection, but first comes the death. So, John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, says this. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. When they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. In turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And now Jesus' response is weird. It's not, hey, send them away. And it's also not, hey, let them come talk to me. Jesus goes into a, a full-blown sermon. Now, that seems really weird because if, if someone came up to me and asked me a question about lunch and I start preaching at you, you're probably going to think, what the heck is happening right now? I was asking you about KFC fried chicken. I wasn't asking you about this, all right? And so they say, Jesus, can they see you? And Jesus goes into a full-blown sermon. And so I, I, I want to read down through verses 26, but I want to key on verses 23 and 24. Jesus responds with this. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. All right, so I'm going to go back to verses 23 and 24 and really key on this, this concept right here. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces grain. Some of your passages say it produces much fruit. Now, this is highly crucial in understanding why does Jesus not see these Greeks? Now, listen, if, if, is anyone in here full-blood Jewish? Anybody? Okay, you're a Greek. All right, you are a Gentile. You are one of these people. You are a Gentile. And so, in essence, Jesus is really saying something to us if we look at it. Jesus, the reason Jesus does not see them 
is because Jesus does not want them to know him merely as a Jewish rabbi. Jesus does not want these Gentiles to know him merely as the Jewish Messiah locked into the faith of Judaism. Because the reason these Greeks are at the festival is because of the fact they were what they would call God-fearing Greeks. These were people who were trying to live according to Judaism the best way that they knew how. But Jesus did not want these people to know him merely as a Jewish Messiah. Does this make sense? Jesus does not want them knowing him merely by his flesh. This is why Paul says none of us actually here have known Christ by his flesh. What is he saying? We did not know him in his physical form, those of you I'm writing to. We know him as he truly was, not as the world perceived him. Jesus was perceived as a Jewish teacher. Do we know this? Correct? Even if they did not see Jesus as the Messiah, they saw him as a Jewish teacher. And Jesus' response is very, very, very crucial. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Why is this so important? Because Jesus is talking about himself as a, as a piece of grain or as a seed, okay? Track with me. He's talking about himself as a seed. And he is talking about himself and he is saying, what, listen, what happens with the seed if you never place it in soil with water? It stays dormant. Nothing happens to it. It stays by itself. Nothing ever happens to it. But if you take that little seed, you place it in the ground, essentially it dies and what bursts forth out of the shell? Life. Life bursts forth out of the seed. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am the seed. And if I don't go into the ground, if I don't die, life will not be able to burst forth into the earth again. So why is Jesus saying this in response to the Greeks? Because if Jesus does not die, if he does not go into the ground, these Greeks cannot be welcomed into what he's trying to do here. So what did the Greeks need to know about Jesus? Not that he was a Jewish teacher, not that he was just a Jewish Messiah. Jesus wanted them to know, if I don't go to that cross and die, this is not for you. So what is Jesus essentially saying? Me in this current state of my existence is not for the Greeks. I have something better for them than just what I am right now. And this is why it's so crucial that we as the Gentiles, we as the Greeks, modern day, we're not looking to the left side of the book. We look to the right side of the book to know what's for us. Listen, you could not be a Jew even if you tried to be. You were not born a Jew. Even those who were God-fearing Greeks could not fully follow Yahweh according to the Old Testament laws. Why? Because they were not born by the blood of Abraham. They could not be welcomed in fully. You, no matter how hard you try, I'm going to say it like this, you cannot live according to the Old Covenant, nor should you try. So any book before Matthew actually does not pertain directly to you. You see, we as modern Christians spend our whole lives in something we call mixture. We mix Old Covenant with New Covenant, and therefore we are what Scripture calls a double-minded person. Because we don't know whether we're uh, to live according to the old covenant laws or according to Jesus. And we get confused. And so what happens is we get caught up mixing Moses with Jesus. Jesus tells me to live over here and love people, but Moses tells me to stone people and judge people. So which one is it? Right? And so we get confused. Okay, well, I'm meant to love some people and not love other people. I'm meant to judge some people and not judge other people. But the fact of the matter is you do not live according to the Old Testament. You couldn't even if you tried. Do you want to know a fun fact? The Jews actually don't live according to the Old Covenant anymore. Do you want to know why? Because their temple was destroyed. They couldn't even if they tried. 
A Jewish person, according to live fully, according to the law, you would have to take sacrifices to the temple to be slaughtered and sacrificed on your behalf. Guess what they don't do anymore? They don't even do animal sacrifices. So the crazy thing is, even the people who could live according to the Old Testament law don't live according to it anymore. But I see so many New Covenant Christians trying to live in past days instead of the present days that Christ has created for us. So therefore, if we don't live according to the New Covenant, we don't get to live in the freedom that Christ promised us. Because we're too busy living in past condemnation instead of living in present freedom. And so what is Jesus saying to these Jews, Greeks, I mean these Greeks? This is not for you. What I'm doing currently is not for you, but what comes after this is for you. And so this is a really key phrase because of the fact, let's go a couple verses down to verse 30. Jesus makes a very crucial statement about the cross, and this is what he says. Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice, so the Father's voice comes down from heaven and speaks about him, did not come because of, because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, that's a very interesting phrase to have to, to have to wrestle with. To me, when I read, now is the judgment of the world, at this point, Jesus has come. So I like to think of it this way. The Father's judgment on you was Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really good news because last time I checked, Jesus forgave me for everything I ever did. So I don't know about you, but that's exciting news for Jesus to say, now the judgment of this world has come. Jesus is now proclaiming, the king is proclaiming forgiveness for the world. To me, that is absolutely insane because we know Jesus is this. He's the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He's also the lamb slain for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2 tells us this, 1 John 2, 2. He's not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So I don't know about you, but that's some really good news to me that the judgment has already come upon you and me. And the judgment was Jesus. Man, that is beautiful news. Why is that beautiful news? Because you don't have to live in your past mistakes anymore. You're already forgiven. You don't have to live condemned anymore because you're already forgiven. You don't have to beat yourself upside the head because you didn't perform well enough today or you didn't read your Bible enough or you didn't pray enough. Those things don't matter. You're already forgiven. Now live as if you're forgiven. And the beauty of it all is he really loves us. We don't live that way a lot of the time, but he really loves us because we have an old covenant perspective as if we have to earn something from God. But last time I checked, Jesus died the death for all people all time. What does that mean? He took everything that you and I are that was not a part of this new, this new humanity we're about to talk about. He took it into himself and he killed it upon the cross. So these things that you think you are, you aren't really. See, because it has to do with our perception of who we are. But let's continue on what Jesus is saying. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now to me, that's also really encouraging because I've talked about this. I refuse to live in a Christianity where we still give devil power over Jesus. I won't do it. Jesus is always superior to the devil. This is why I don't blame the devil for when I mess up because I take accountability for my own downfalls. It ain't the devil's fault. Why? Because when we cup out and we say, it was the devil, we never have to take responsibility for our own growth. And in this Christian life, we're called to grow. Jesus already defeated the devil. First John tells us this, Christ was manifest in the flesh to destroy the works of the devil. Did Jesus already come? Yes. So what did he already do? Destroy the works of the devil. You and I, the devil has no hold on us. We're not blinded by the ruler of this age. You and I have been freed. So therefore, it's not the devil causing us to mess up. It's our own misperceptions and wrong perspectives that cause us to live the way we do. 
You heard Joshua Jones say it. This whole circle of my friends say this. The reason we sin is not because we're sinful. The reason we sin is because we have a broken identity crisis. We do not know who we are. If you don't know you've already been perfected and loved in the eyes of God, then you're not going to live as if you were perfected and loved in the eyes of God. It all has to do with our perception of what's already been done for us by Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he really meant it is finished, which means you don't have to accomplish anything for yourself. He already did it. Now we live in the reality of what he's done. But the problem is we've not been taught to live in his reality. We've been taught to live in the reality of the present understanding of our church. Anyways, we'll move on from that. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This is why Jesus turns the Gentiles away. Why? Because he's saying, when I go on that, when I go on that cross, I'm now providing a way for all peoples to come into me. This is why Jesus held off from them seeing him. Jesus did not want them to meet him just while he was in the form of a man. Jesus wanted them to meet him when he was on the cross. The reason I'm pointing up is because that beautiful cross up above me right now. He wanted them to see what he came to do for them. He wanted them to see him as the crucified Messiah. Because now when he is lifted up, what does he say? All people can now come to me. I've now made a way for all people. And so it's in his death, right? Jesus said, it's now by my blood shed for you that the new covenant is established. He says that in Luke chapter 22. So how How is the new covenant established that accepts all people in? His blood has to be shed. It happens on the cross. And so now through his shedding of the blood on the cross, Jesus now says a way has been made for all people. So in essence, what is he saying? Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. All that life-giving power that was in Christ we're about to read about. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It's called the Messiah poem. Colossians chapter 1. It's made up of two stanzas. Colossians chapter 1. Let's read stanza number 1, verses 15 through 17. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. This is a beautiful, beautiful poem about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. This first stanza would be entitled, King and Author of Creation. Starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. So he is number what? Jesus is what? He's the image of the invisible God. So if you ever wondered what God the Father is like, who can we look to for the answer? Jesus, okay? So if Jesus wouldn't do it, what would the Father not do? He wouldn't do it. If Jesus would, listen, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've not come to take men's lives, but to give them life and life more abundantly. So if Jesus isn't out here killing people, the Father's not out here killing people. So when you see a natural disaster on the news, God is not punishing people. Life just happens. There's a very horrible mindset of some people have in the church. That's God's wrath. No, God does not kill people. People's decisions usually kill people. Jesus does not kill people. Therefore, the Father does not kill people. So if Jesus was not doing it, the Father will not do it. So that's a beautiful thing to understand about the Father is we see his character in Christ Jesus. He's the firstborn over all creation. This is an Old Testament type perspective. It means that Jesus is supreme because the firstborn son would be the heir to the throne. Jesus is the firstborn son of God, right? So therefore, he is the ruler of creation. So Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. What was created for him? What was created through him? 
all things. So what does that tell me? Jesus is the glue of our existence. This is why anywhere you go, anything you go through, no matter what you experience, who is with you? Jesus. Because all things were created in him, through him, by him, and more importantly, for him. Who were you created for? Jesus. Who loves you? Who's forgiven you? Who pours out grace on you? Who gives you mercy? Who's with us in our time of need? That is a beautiful good news reality. What is the gospel? It's the too good to be true good news of Jesus that is actually true. This is good news that the one that created me created me for himself in order to love me and forgive me and extend grace and mercy to me in my time of need. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things consists. Nothing's outside of Jesus. Everything was created for Jesus. So what does that tell me? All of creation power was in who? Jesus. All the power of creation was in the, in the body of a man. Because verse, 10, verse 18 tells us this. This is the next stanza. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Now, why is this important? It says he's the firstborn of the dead. Number one, it means he has authority over death. That is really good news because in John chapter 11, he tells us this, that anyone who believes in me will never actually taste death. That's really good news to me. Why? Because even when my soul leaves my body, I don't just stop existing. I don't just disappear, but I'm with him. Paul tells us this, to be absent from the body is to be present with our Lord Jesus. So what does that tell me? He has authority over death. That death no longer has hold on me. I've been freed. But also this, it means he's the first one to be resurrected. Now listen, he's the first one to be resurrected, but with many more to come. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. What does verse 19 tell me? That all the fullness of God dwelled where? Talk, talk back to me. Come on. It dwelled where? In Jesus, this is very important for where we're going because we're about to hop back to chapter 12 in the book of John. So all the fullness of God in verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Okay, pause. Having made peace, is that past tense or future tense? Past tense. Whoa, whoa, Scripture, what are you telling me? That peace has already been made. Yes, I'm here to tell you today, whether we have the understanding of the, or the revelation or not, the peace of Christ already rules in the earth. This is why Jesus tells his disciples, if I go, do not fear because I leave my peace with you. Not the peace that the world gives and takes away, but my peace I give and it will last with you. Peace already reigns for the children of God. Now, we don't always live that way because we like to watch the news a little bit too much. And I don't know if you know this, but no matter what news channel you turn to, there will always be chaos on the news. Whether you like CNN or Fox or the local channels, there will always be chaos on the news. Why? Because fear sells. Fear sells on the news. If people can panic more, they'll watch the news more. But I'm here to tell you today, child of God, child of the king, peace already reigns, and it can reign inside of you. The peace that surpasses all understanding. I like to say it this way. The peace of Christ already reigns on the earth. We as humans are just a little bit slow. We are. We're a little bit slow. It takes us a while to get these deep revelations of Christ. We like to sit there and, and ponder it for a little bit, a little bit too long, instead of taking Christ at face value. When the scripture tells us that peace has already been made by the blood of his cross, what can I take comfort in? 
Peace has already been made. But I love that it says the blood of his cross. Why? Because the new covenant was only enacted through his blood. So where does, where does the peace come through? The new covenant of Jesus Christ. It's in the new covenant that we now live in the peace of Christ. But when we try to mix the old covenant with the new covenant, we will not live in the peace of the new covenant. Paul says it this way. He says, God forbid that you mix old covenant with new covenant. Go read Genesis, uh, Galatians, Galatians 2 and 3. He says, God forbid you mix the old things with the new things because the new things are far superior. So I don't have to read in the Old Testament about how God came down and did these mighty things. I can read in the new covenant where Jesus came in the form of man. And now because Jesus came in the incarnate flesh, you can never separate me from God. That's why God came in the form of man. Because now no matter what you do, you cannot separate man from God because God became man. I got better news for you. I don't need to see God. I don't need to see Jesus coming down to pillars of fire in the books of Exodus. I can see his Holy Spirit coming down in flaming tongues and now filling me. I don't need. I don't need the types and shadows because now I have the picture and his name is Jesus. I don't have to wonder and guess what God is truly like. I can look to Jesus. And so in light of what we just read about this life power that was in Christ Jesus, what happened to Jesus when he breathed his last breath? Okay, this is really important. It says he went down into the grave for three days, but on the third day, what happened? He rose again. This is why we're talking about the resurrection. When Christ rise again as the firstborn among the dead, the life power that was in him was unleashed into the world. Now, this is very, very important because Scripture tells us this in 2 Corinthians. It says, if, if, if we believe that one died, we believe that all died. Now, this is very important. If Christ died as all of humanity, that means all of humanity can be reborn in Christ. So all of us who've now put our faith in the risen Jesus, we are now reborn in Christ. Now, why is this important? Because a lot of us have been taught in the American church that everything is, is built up by formulas, right? You say this prayer at this time, you do this at this time, you do this at that time. But the early church is actually beautiful because it believed in wonder and beauty as pillars of the church. And they believe that majority of what we walk in is a mystery. Now, why is this important? Because there is no formula to control the Holy Spirit. A lot of us come to church and we want a formula of the Holy Spirit. How do I get more anointing, right? And then we're like, oh, five steps to the anointing. I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way because Holy Spirit is not manipulated to your purposes. Y'all about to have me preaching real quick. You do not manipulate the Holy Spirit into doing what you want him to do, even if they're good things. You are at the mercy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not at your mercies. So now, instead of coming to church and me telling you, do these five things to be more anointed, I'm going to proclaim you're already anointed because the Holy Spirit already lives inside of you. Now you grow in your awareness of his anointing. I'm not going to come in here and try to teach you how to manipulate the Holy Spirit. I refuse to ever give you a five-step plan to the Holy Spirit. But I will tell you is that he lives inside of you, and that is a very beautiful thing. Jesus says in John chapter 3, we can't see him, but we feel his effects. As if the breeze were flowing through the trees. You don't see the breeze, but you see the trees swaying. Just as I can't see Holy Spirit right now, I know what he's done in me and through me even in this moment. It's a mystery. It's a beautiful wonder. It's a beautiful mystery. But why am I talking about this? Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We deal with two more passages and we are done. John chapter 3 talked about the resurrection. We've talked about how when, when Christ rose again, that power that was in him, that life-giving creative power was burst forth and through the earth. And now let's see what that means for us. John chapter three, and we're going to talk about perspective a little bit. John chapter three, starting in verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what is, what is Nicodemus's uh, proclamation? Jesus, we know you're from God, because there's no way what you're doing could be from anyone else. Jesus answered and said to him, this is one of our key verses, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot see where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want to look at verse, verse 3. This is crucial. You need to understand, we have made Pharisees usually to be the bad guys, but Pharisees would basically be like pastors of their day. All right, they're not all bad. They're actually really good guys who are doing their best to please God. So Nicodemus, a very good and just man, has come to Jesus. And Jesus responds, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is where a problem with the formulas in the church comes into play. It's beautiful that you give your heart to Christ. It's beautiful that you are saved. That is beautiful. But oftentimes we read everything as if Christ was talking about eternity. And it would be, it would shock you to know that Jesus very rarely actually talked about eternity. It's very rare. Jesus actually preached the most about two things, his father and the kingdom of God. Those were the two things he preached the most. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about one day in the future because he responds to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 22. He says, you ask, is the kingdom of God here or there and when will it come? And Jesus says, you are mistaken. It's in your very midst. So what was Jesus saying? The kingdom of God was within him. And when he died and rose again, the kingdom of God was unleashed in the earth. So he tells Nicodemus this. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Pause. He's not talking about one day in the future. He's talking about here and now. This scripture is not for you to think of heaven one day. It's meant for you to think of your present existence. And so this is what happens in the church a lot of the times. We're taught to accept Jesus, which is beautiful. Please accept Jesus and follow him. That is beautiful. But then we're taught a lot of us that one day the kingdom of God will come and one day we'll be a part of it. So let me tell you this. It's beautiful to be reborn in your standing with God, but you also need to be reborn in your mind. Your, your perception and perspective of things has to be reborn because this is the thing. If your perspective and lenses are not reborn, you'll never see the kingdom of God right in front of you here now. You'll spend your whole life hoping and praying one day for the kingdom of God and you'll miss it for your whole existence on this earth. Paul says it this way in Romans 14, 17. He says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what does that tell me? Anytime we experience or see righteousness, peace, and joy through and by Holy Spirit, I'm living in the kingdom of God. But if I do not change my lenses and my perspective, I'll never see it. It'll pass me by every time. So what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus? The kingdom of God is before your very eyes. But unless you are born again in your thinking, in your mind, let me ask you this. When you were born again, Jesus, right? You accepted Jesus. You were born again. Did you literally come out of your mother again? No. Your body was not reborn. Your mind was reborn. Your spirit was reborn. 
born. So a lot of us, we love Jesus, we follow Jesus, but we've not allowed Jesus to reform our minds. Because really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your pastor taught you 20 years ago. It matters what Jesus is teaching you here and now. Men have been flawed, and guess what? I've been flawed. I've taught you things I don't even believe to this day. It's crazy. But that's why we follow Jesus. That's why you don't follow me. You're not following Josiah Hodge. At the end of the day, when you are going through the hardships of life, you don't turn to Josiah Hodge for grace and mercy. Who do you turn to? You turn to Jesus. We follow Jesus, not Josiah. So at the end of the day, who do we listen to? We listen to Jesus. And so if Jesus said it, what do we do? We listen. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the kingdom of God is before your very face, but you can't see it because your mind has not been reborn. Now this is crucial because he goes on to say in verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, baptism and Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now pause, once again, we read enter the kingdom of God as what? One day in the far off future. No, Jesus is saying, first off, in order to enter something, you have to be able to see the entrance, correct? You could not enter the sanctuary if you never saw the entrance to the sanctuary. So Jesus starts off by saying, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless your mind is reborn. So what now is he saying? You will not enter it if first you cannot see it. You won't know to enter it. So he is talking about here and now. I'm here to tell you today. Jesus said this. He said, I will not come again to partake of the cup with you until my kingdom has been established. Well, what does he do after he resurrects? He goes and he eats and drinks with all his disciples on multiple occasions. So what does that tell me? The kingdom of God is already here and it's already now. But it takes those whose minds have been reborn by the Holy Spirit to see it and then to enter it. He's not excluding people right now. He is saying this is how you enter it. You have to first have a revelation in your mind and be reborn in your mind. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Isn't that crazy? He says, do not marvel at this. Why? Because it's a beautiful mystery. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone is born of the Spirit. Now, how do I know that this is true? Because I am able now to forgive people I was never able to before, but first my mind had to be reborn. It had to be renewed and transformed. I am not able to extend grace and mercy to people I could never before. So what does that tell me? I know I've been reborn in my mind because my mind is not the same it used to be. Amen? Do, do we understand what I'm saying here? How do I know this is true? Because I'm not the same person I was a year and a half ago. I'm definitely not the person I was two years ago. It's not that my physical form, yeah, I put on a little bit of dad weight, but that is not what I'm saying, okay? It's not my body that's changed, okay? I got two little boys and those two and under, so y'all, those of you who have little kids understand this thing is a struggle sometimes, all right? But it's not my body that has changed, it's my mind. So how do I know I've been reborn? I'm able to love people I was not able to love before. I'm able to forgive people I was not able to forgive before. So let's, I'm going to have to get and talk about this because I'm about to get a little bit excited, all right? We, we, we talk about holiness so much in the Pentecostal church that I don't even think we know what practical holiness looks like. We shout holiness, and we think that means not wearing a crop top or a bikini to the beach. And we shout holiness, holiness. Can I tell you what holiness looks like? It looks like forgiving people who have really hurt you. That is holy. When the scripture says, be ye holy as he is holy, it looks like forgiving those who have detrimentally harmed your mental state. 
It looks like loving those who have been so nasty and hateful to you. It looks like being kind to those that no one is kind to. How do I know this to be what holiness is? Because that's what God does to us. God is not holy in some obscure, far-off way. God is holy in very practical ways. So you want to be holy? Forgive those you couldn't forgive in the past. You want to be holy? Live the peop- love the people and live with the people that no one else will love and live with. Be kind to those that have never experienced kindness in their lives. You want to be holy? Be holy in practical ways. Don't cop out and say, God is holy, be holy, and come to church in a suit and tie as if that makes you holy. I know people, I know people who wear suit and ties every day of their life to church, and they're some of the meanest humans I've ever met in my life, holding on to things from 30 years ago. It's not the suit and tie that makes you holy. It's the mindset that makes you holy. This is why we have to be reborn in our minds. Because unless you're reborn, you will cling to the things of the past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this. All old things have passed away. The new things are here. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But if you cling on to your old ways of thinking, you'll never live in the reality of being new. This is why we have to be reborn in our thinking. And I've grown up in the holiness movement my whole life where I've heard at least 30,000 pastors shout, be ye holy as God is holy, but never actually teach people practical ways to be holy. It's just something you say in church to perform well. But I'm not here to perform for you. I'm here to be as genuine as I possibly can be because I don't care how much you learn here. I care how much you leave with and live with. I don't care about preaching good put together sermons. I care about how well you leave after you live this place. This is why I tell you, I don't care what your morning devotions look like. What I care about is how you love your coworkers. I don't care how great your morning worship is. I care about how well you love and take care of your families. Because at the end of the day, when you go to Christ one day, he's not going to look at you and have a record book. All right, did you read your Bible this day? All right, did you pray this day? No, he's going to welcome you in and say, thank you for loving your friends and family well. Because at the end of the day, Jesus said this. He says, how you treat the least of these on the earth is how you treat me. So I have a lot of people asking me, Josiah, why do you serve the homeless so much? Because I don't see the homeless, I see Jesus. Because Jesus told me, when you see the least of these, you see me. And when you serve the least of these, you serve me. So when Aunt Dawn and Pat Mobley are doing the golf tournament for for the orphans in the children's home, or those who've been placed away from their families, I don't just see orphans, I see Jesus. Because as we take care of the least of these, we take care of Christ. Why? Because everything was made in, by, and through Jesus. You cannot see one human in front of you that was not made by Christ. And now that'll blow your mind because now when I see every person, I can see Jesus. So now when I see every person, even those who've hurt me, I can see Jesus, the one who's forgiven me, therefore I can forgive. This is why Ephesians 4.32, which my mom made me memorize and sing my whole life, forgive others as you've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's holiness. Holiness is actually practically looking like Jesus, not obscure realities in our mind. I got all excited and stood up, and I messed up. Let's go to Titus, Titus chapter 3, and we are done. I've been going for 30 minutes on the mark. We are done, Titus chapter 3, finishing up at 35 minutes. I get y'all out. Y'all know this. Titus 35, 3, sorry, Titus 3, and Titus is right after 1 Timothy, and it's hard turning page with one hand. After 2 Timothy, there's Titus. And it's only three chapters, so it's a very short book. All right, there we go. Here we go. Titus, everyone there? Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. 
Starting in verse 4, we're going to look at some work of the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, what was it that appeared towards us? The kindness and love. Man, we don't talk about that enough in church. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared towards man, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He did what? According to what? His mercy. He said, yeah, that's what I like. There you go, Cassidy. She said, saved us. I love it. Hmm. Whom he poured out. Oh, I'm, I'm skipping pages. Here we go. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm going to key in on verse 5. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which he has done, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now this is super crucial because when we hear the word regeneration, we can think of this. You have been regened. Your DNA has changed. I'm going to say this again. Your DNA has changed. You have been regened, which means your genome has been changed. And so you have a new DNA. I've talked about this. I'll say it again. You now have the divine nature of Abba inside of you. First Peter tells us this. We can now, through the promises of Christ, we can now partake of the divine nature of God. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Why? Because Paul says this way. He says, stop acting like mere humans. You now partake of the divine nature of God. And so now for me, you know what that tells me? I don't have to struggle with hatred and anger and wrath and lust and lying anymore because I'm no, long, no longer a mere human ruled by my flesh, but now I am a son of God who's been regened to share the same DNA as my father. Now this is good news because a lot of us are taught to struggle with sin, fight through sin your whole life until one day you get to glory. I don't preach that gospel because that's not good news. That's a life of slavery. When reality, Scripture tells us time and time and time again, we have now been reborn through the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? I don't have to struggle in my mind because we understand this is a fight of the mind. When you struggle with anger and wrath and lust and all these things, it's a battle in your mind. A lot of you know because you fight the temptation a lot. And it's this battle, as do I, a battle in your mind. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But the beauty of it is we do not have to fight it forever as mere humans because now we've been regened with the divine nature of Abba. I am not the same Josiah Hodge I once was because I don't even have the same DNA I used to have. I no longer have, listen to this, uh, Romans chapter 5 tells us this, that we were all born in the first Adam, but now because of Christ the second Adam, we've all been reborn. At one point, I was in the first Adam, and I had the same DNA as the first Adam. But now through the second Adam, I have been reborn, and I have new DNA. Now, this is a revelation you have to come to on your own because when you come to that revelation, your whole perceptive and perspective and way of thinking will be changed because I no longer have to struggle with the things I once struggled with because I'm no longer the person that I used to be. So this word regeneration literally means you are made new, but this word renewal in the Greek actually means restored or renovation. 
So when I am being renewed by the Holy Spirit, there's a continual renovation process happening inside of me to the point where I, won't, I don't have to be the same next year I was right now. It's a continual renovation process, but more than that, Scripture says you have already been restored by the Holy Spirit. What does that tell me? The way I was always meant to be and meant to live, Holy Spirit is making me into that person if we allow him to do his work. This is the new covenant life. This is the new humanity. The new covenant was enacted through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now this new humanity comes through the Holy Spirit. And verse 6 is very exciting. Talking about Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Did he hold back the Holy Spirit? Did he say, I'm only going to give you a tiny portion, a tiny measure? And y'all, this is where I'm at when it comes to Holy Spirit. He's already been poured out on us. We don't get deeper measures of the Holy Spirit. He's already been poured out. We just come to our awareness of his nearness. So therefore, I don't have to live striving to get more of the Holy Spirit. I can live my life well praying, Holy Spirit, give me deeper revelation of your nearness today. Because last time I checked, we are already temples of the Holy Spirit. He's already in us. He's already with us. You don't get deeper measures of the Holy Spirit or deeper anointing. It's already inside of you. He is already inside of you. We now pray for deeper and truer awareness of his nearness. We have been made new. This is the objective reality. We have already been made new in Christ Jesus. And you may say to me, Pastor Josiah, I do not feel that way. And the, what I'm going to tell you is this. You don't feel that way because you have not learned to think that way. This is why in Romans 12, 2, he says we have to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. What does that mean? Our minds day by day have to be renovated to see things the right way. You and I, all of us, have lenses based upon past trauma, past hurts, past hardships. We have lenses we see the world that are very skewed because of things that have happened to us. And through Holy Spirit coming into all of us who believe in Christ Jesus, he now comes in and he starts taking those things away so we can see him as he truly is. Will you please stand with me? This is our introduction into the new covenant life, into the new humanity. This is introduction. We have already been reborn into this new covenant. And this is a reality we have to face and wrestle with. Miss Melody, will you grab the communion for me? We are going to partake of communion real quick before we head out together. Because Jesus said it this way. He said, this is my blood shed for you for the enacting of my new covenant. And I want us to partake of his, his symbolic and spiritual body and blood today as we enter this new covenant journey through the summer because I want it to become more real to us than it ever has been before. Put it right here. So section on my right, you guys can come and grab your communion elements. Middle section, you may come get your elements.
section on my left, you may come and partake of the communion elements. You may take the wafer in your hand. Luke 22, starting in verse 17. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we've talked about this. Remembrance, the actual Greek word means to live in a past time as a present reality. And so, Lord Jesus, as we symbolically take this wafer as your body, we also spiritually do it. And we pray that that becomes so real to us in the wonder and the beauty of what Christianity actually is. Not something that's based on formulas and men's own perceptions or intelligence, intellect, whatever it may be. But, Lord Jesus, we understand this is supernatural. That as we partake of your body, we truly believe that by your wounds we are healed, and this is your body that was wounded on our behalf. And so as we partake of this, we believe we will be healed in the name of Jesus, that we will be able to live according to this new covenant life. Let it transform our minds. Holy Spirit, start to, to continue to regenerate and renew our minds day by day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, the ultimate symbol of love, the death on the cross for all of humanity. Jesus, we thank you for shedding your body for us. You may break, take, and eat. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. That is the covenant the, the new covenant is enacted through it, and we thank you for your blood that is a portal to the new covenant, that everyone who enters the new covenant life enters through the blood, the sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ, but not just the death, but the conquering of Hades and the resurrection three days later. Jesus, we thank you for this new covenant life. And I pray that as we drink this, this juice that is symbolic of your blood, that it'll be as we are ingesting the new covenant, becoming new covenant people, no mixture, Holy Spirit-led new covenant people, through and through, who practically live holiness in our everyday lives. Lord Jesus, make us like you as we partake. Take and drink. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone who came, everyone who 
gave up their time to be here and to hear about you, Jesus, and came because they love you and to receive grace and mercy. And Jesus, I just pray that you you let them become so aware of your nearness throughout their week this week, that in their schools, those who are teachers, in their workplaces, whatever it may be, that they have such powerful encounters with you through what they do. Encounters in their home, encounters in their family, in their workplaces. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we are praying for deeper encounters. We love you. In my name we pray. Amen and amen.